This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, first of all, thanks to everyone who either uh, DM'd or tweeted or texted Stiptic Pencil for me. Should really have that with my shaving kit. Bad and sloppy of me not to. Thank you. Uh, in the meantime, back to hockey. And uh, we have 10 games on the go around the NHL this evening, and there's some good ones. Uh, on our network, you can see the Flyers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. No headman. Uh, Sportsnet East Ontario and Pacific. Uh, on Sportsnet West a little bit later on, 8 o'clock Eastern, the Flames face off against the Minnesota Wild. And also at 9 o'clock Eastern, on Sportsnet 1, you can see the San Jose Sharks fresh off their win last night against the Winnipeg Jets face off against the Colorado Avalanche, a team that has despite the fact that I have about zero concern about them, hit a little bit of a speed wobble, or maybe you can say some turbulence right now, uh, the face-off against the Colorado Avalanche. It is the Jet, it is the Sharks and the Avs this evening. Peter Baugh covers the Avs for The Athletic and has done so for quite some time and even wrote a book about it. Uh, Peter Baugh joins me now. Peter, how are you today, pal? I am well. How are you, Jeff? I'm okay, other than I cut myself shaving under my nose today right before the program. Um, oh, no. I, I'm doing my best. Uh, n- yeah, I'm doing my best not to open up. <laughs> I got the, uh, I, it's telling everyone at the beginning of the show, I went through about three or four flags of Japan uh, right away trying to trying to block it out with the Kleenex. But uh, so far, we're holding, we're, we're, we're doing okay, Peter. So we'll, we'll soldier through. Uh, as Elliot mentioned, it's a hockey show, so I don't think anyone's going to be clutching the pearls about seeing a little bit of blood and that's where we're at um is anybody clutching the pearls and worrying about the Colorado? what's that oh i was gonna say i'll text you after the show because i do have a a trick someone told me for for stopping bleeding on shaving cuts oh well why don't you share it with the listeners go for it don't just keep it okay all right so apparently so apparently uh if you have like a stick of deodorant do you use like a little bit of deodorant and put it on the Cause it like deodorant, like I think one of the things it does is it kind of like helps your skin pores expand or something like that. And so then it, it slows the bleeding a little bit. Really? I never would have considered that. It sounds like it might hurt like hell, but that's okay because the styptic pencil hurts like hell too. I would try that. All right. There's yeah, a tip. Get, if anyone's tried know if that, try let me know. Okay, I will. Uh, I will give that a shot because, like, who's kidding? Who? I'll cut myself again, like probably tomorrow before the <laughs> program, and open up another zip here on my cheek. Who knows? Um, is anybody con- as concerned about my shaving cuts? Um, uh, is anyone as concerned around the Avalanche organization about this little mini skid the team is on? Uh, well, I don't think any of the players or coaches are necessarily. As concerned, uh, the fan base in my Twitter mentions are are they're they're a little worried, but I think that that's kind of the <laughs> ebbs and ebbs and flows of fandom, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's definitely been a a bit of a rough the last few games, but it's also worth remembering that they had won six in a row before before those the three games that they've lost. So it's not not the end of the world, I don't think. I think they're. The, the Dallas loss in particular was bad and maybe a little jarring, especially because they probably have to go through Dallas to get to where they want to go in the playoffs this year. But overall, I don't think uh, this team is overly concerned, um, especially if they're able to get healthy at any point, which is obviously a huge if given the track record of the team this season. 
how much do you think, if if at all, and you might say, well, listen, Merrick, I, I think the answer is none. They, they haven't come back to the pack at all. They're still way out ahead of everybody. How much do you think Colorado has come back to the pack this season? And I'm not necessarily talking about the record. I'm just talking about, like, the quality of the team because, listen, last year this team was insane and frightening and went through powerhouse teams like it was nothing and took care of the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup final. Um, how much of a step back do you think this team has taken this season, if at all? Yeah, well, it certainly has been a less successful regular season. And I, I think that you kind of see flashes where you're kind of like, all right, this team's starting to look like it. Like during that six-game win streak, it was like, all right, here they go. It looks like they're kind of starting to find their gear. Um I think that some of it is just the injuries and lack of continuity, and this team doesn't have quite the same level of depth that last year's team had. I mean, last year's team had Nazem Kadri putting up 87 points in, I think, like 74 games or something yeah. like that. So you're going to miss guys like that. You're going to miss guys like Andre Burkowski, who, when he's on, is as good a goal scorer as, as anyone on the team. So so they 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 miss kind of some of that, and I think that's where you see – them go into ruts a little more is when a few guys get hurt. There's there maybe they don't have the same elite level players to, to kind of fill in. I do think that if they do get fully healthy, it is probably the most talented team in the Western conference, which is why I think we talked about this just privately. Like the deadline was a win for the abs and that none of the West teams made huge moves to, to kind of upgrade. So I, I think that they're mm-hmm. still in a, good position if they are able to get healthy heading into the playoffs and we'll see if that's going to be able to happen what is i'm curious what you say here what is the quieter best story around the avalanche 40 goals so far for rantanen or a 918 save percentage for georgiev neither really get talked about a whole ton which one do you think is the better story Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I think maybe Georgiev, because I think Rantanen, we always knew he was that type of player. Like, like he hasn't maybe had quite the level of success. Like, he'll probably, I don't know about probably, but he has a good chance to get to 50 goals this year. Um, so we'll, yeah. we'll see if he's able to reach that milestone, which would obviously be big for him. I think he'd be the first fin to do that since Timo Solani. Um but I think Georgiev, I mean, I think just the kind of uncertainty around him when he was traded for it, this guy who had never been a starter, um, who, who was kind of, he was the heir to Henrik Lundqvist, and then Henrik Lundqvist's heir ended up being Shesterkin, and so he kind of got blocked. And, and very, yeah. Georgiev very, is a very confident guy. Like, he, he, I think, truly believes that he is... Uh, an elite level goaltender and, and kind of feels like this is just now everyone's getting to see it, but he always knew it was there. And so I think that's kind of a, certainly a more, if you had asked me, like, would I have been more surprised by Georgia being a top 10 goalie in the league or Ranton and being a 40 goal scorer early in March, I probably would have said I'd be more surprised at Georgia. It really is a great story. Um, a couple of other things here. Uh, your thoughts on what the Avalanche did at trade deadline, whether it's Lars Eller, whether it's uh, the good, the feel-good story of Jack Johnson returning. Like, 
Last year, for last year around trade deadline, it was a command performance, and we we're all, you know, this was led by you know our Arturi Lekkonens and Josh Manson, etc. Um, this year, a little bit quieter. But what do you make of the Abs moves at deadline? Yeah, I mean, I think you can see last year's moves impact on this year's deadline in multiple ways. For one, they just didn't have a ton of trade chips. They felt comfortable moving. They didn't have a second round pick to move until 2025, which they traded for Eller. They didn't have as much prospect depth because uh, they had traded Justin Barron to Montreal in the Lekkonen deal. They had traded Drew Hellis into Anaheim in the um, Manson deal. They had traded Connor Timmons to Arizona in the um, in the Kemper deal. So they, they just didn't have quite as much depth. And then also the thing it was is that they kept three of the four guys that they traded for everyone except Nico Sturm, who actually is coming back tonight with uh, with San Jose. His first game back in Denver. Um, but the so they 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 kind of had some of those holes already filled. Obviously, the big question was were they going to get a second line center? And I think that just kind of the options might have dried up on them. I think Elliot said on your guys' mm-hmm. podcast that they were interested in O'Reilly. Um, I think Jonathan Taves would have made a lot of yep. sense. Obviously, he kind of pulled himself out. Sean Monahan was a guy who, at the start of the year, it looked like he was really getting going, and maybe he would have made sense, but he hasn't played since December. Um, Horvat was probably too pricey for what the Avalanche had in the cupboard. Like, it, it just kind of was maybe the options dried up for him there, and they didn't like the options they had at the prices that were available. So, it's, I mean, the GM kind of said, like, going in he said we're confident in our team we're going to look to make moves with Bell program but we're not going to force anything and i think it's pretty clear that they didn't yeah. force anything i was a little surprised that they didn't add either uh, another defenseman just to have one extra guy or um or a guy like james van reemsdyke or someone like that who, who could just help with scoring in the on the third line um but I think they're confident in where they are and just didn't really like what was, was on the table for them. It seemed like the market might have just dried up on them a little bit. I, I um, One of the things I think that a lot of us wonder is the fact that they weren't that noisy. I think you're obviously bang on about, you know, they don't have the, uh, the same assets to give as they did last season. But I wonder how much of the um, relative inactivity was because, you know, Gabriel Landeskog is coming back, or at least we think Gabriel Landeskog is coming back, or we hope that Gabriel Landeskog is is coming back. This is my way of transitioning into, um, (laughs) Peter, what's happening with Gabriel Landeskog? (laughs) Well, that's honestly a really good question, and I've kind of been been trying to figure out the same thing. So he's been skating, and he's gradually looking a little better. Um, The team has kind of maintained that there's not, like, a clear timetable. I asked Chris McFarlane. I, I asked if there was concern about this long-term and he didn't want to get into specifics or of any of that. Um, so it's not, I don't think it's a guarantee that he's going to be back for the regular season, just based on what they've said. Like they haven't made it sound like it's a certainty, um, which I think in a way is a concern given the fact that when this injury, when he first underwent surgery, it was supposed to be, I think 12 weeks and he gets back sometime in January or February. And obviously now we're, into March and he's, he's skating, but still probably not super close to playing. So I certainly have wondered about his situation. I, I think that the abs are very capable of repeating. If he's healthy, I question if they're capable of repeating, if he's yep. hurt in the playoffs. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And and so we'll we'll see kind of what unfolds in the next few weeks. But um, I mean, for the sake of him and his health, hopefully he's able to get back out there because he's he's really fun to watch. And I know one of your one of your favorite guys out there. Hundred um, percent. And we all love Kale McCarr, and I know he's back. And right away saying, "Oh, same old story." I come back to the lineup and we lose. Um, <laughs> how is Kale McCarr? I mean, obviously, there's like a, a, a real sensitivity uh, around his health and, and around concussions and head injuries. Um, how is Kale McCarr right now? Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's doing. He's doing well. The, his quotes post game were very funny. He's he's said that a couple times of I, when he's come back from injuries, <laughs> like they are, the, the the team. I just like the, I'm the common denominator. It's like all right, Kale, let's calm down a little bit yeah. here. <laughs> um, but he, uh, I think so. The way he described it was so he took um, the contact from Jeff Carter in the Pittsburgh game, came back to the game, felt bad the next morning, then. Comes back, I think, 11 days later in St. Louis. Alexei Torbchenko, um, there's kind of this awkward collision on the power play. He thought initially he had just, like, busted his nose. His nose was bleeding. The concussion spotter never pulled him. So he left the game, felt fine, came back in after his nose was done bleeding or they got it patched up or used deodorant or whatever to, to stop that. Um, and then and then the next uh, – <laughs> and then the next morning – Again, he, he woke up feeling symptoms, but he described those symptoms as very, very mild. He said if he hadn't had the head, head injury from the Carter hit, he probably would have played. It was just they wanted to be, like, extra careful with it because, like you said, this is a, a really sensitive issue and, and not something that yeah. they take lightly. So he went back into protocol and, and went through it. It obviously was a bit jarring. I know I wrote about this seeing – that twice in 12 days or whatever, he left a game after contact to the head returned. And then the next day, a concussion symptoms came up. Um, yeah. But it's the, the team and McCarr are confident. They followed protocol correctly. I, I was wondering, I, the big question I was kind of asking and reflecting on is if the protocol is, is at all like needs to change or anything, but it's, it's tough when different players respond mm-hmm. differently um, to these injuries, but yep. in short, I think he's he's okay. I mean, he's I'm watching him run the first power play unit right now, and I think he uh, it, it, he definitely stressed that it was a very very mild symptoms when they came back up after the Torpchenko contact, which I think was was probably relieving for some people to hear. Um, and and yeah, but he he seems to be doing okay. Okay, so I've got 30 seconds left, um, and maybe this isn't enough time. I'm going to throw a dart anyway. Everybody in the West always talks about not wanting to face Colorado. Is there one team, mm-hmm. though, that – I don't know if I could say they scare Colorado, but is there one team – is there one team you can think of in 30 seconds that Colorado might not want to face in an opening round? In an opening round or in any round? Uh, really in any round, to be honest with you. Okay, I think I, I think that Dallas matchup. I, I don't I don't I think Colorado would still feel confident. Like these are confident guys, and now they know that they've won. But Dallas is a team that eliminated them a couple years ago. DeBoer eliminated them with Vegas in 2021. Um, Dallas has a lot of capable players and a goalie. I think when you look at teams that can scare you, you look at goalies that can steal games. And Jake Ottinger has shown that he's he's very capable of standing on his head. So I, I think they're. 
they're an answer that comes to mind. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it'll be interesting because I mean, Vegas would be a, it would be fun to see a rematch there at some point. There's going to be a lot of yes. potential matchups that are interesting. Yes. Uh, I listen, I'm an older school hockey fan too, so I want anything to get the old Colorado Dallas rivalry back again. So I love those yeah. games in the playoffs. Um, Peter, listen, two things. One, thanks for sharing your expertise. Uh, on the Colorado Avalanche, and also your expertise on what I should have in my shaving kit. Much appreciated. Pack <laughs> extra deodorant for shaving cuts. That's a that's a great tip, my friend. You be well. You as well, and I hope the cut feels better. Yeah, thanks, pal. It's uh, it's the Avalanche and the San Jose Sharks facing off tonight, nine o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet One. Uh, we'll hit a break. You know, Peter mentioned the Vegas Golden Knights there a second ago. We'll get on the Golden Knights page in a couple of moments with Gary Lawless. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights insider and radio analyst. Also, bottom of the hour, Eric Francis stops by. We'll talk about the Calgary Flames and that huge, and it really was huge because they almost crumpled that thing up and threw it away, win against the Dallas Stars last night. Tyler Toffoli with the heroics. But guess what? It's the return of the random player of the day. Stay tuned. Hour two is coming up. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Oh, it is indeed. Thanks for joining me here for Hour 2. Uh, Gary Lawless, Golden Knights insider and radio analyst, will stop by. It is the Vegas Golden Knights and the Florida Panthers, one of 10 on the board. A little bit later on um, this evening, also Eric Francis. A couple of things with Eric. Last night's game with the Calgary Flames almost handed it back to the Dallas Stars uh, before Tyler Toffoli's heroics in the dying seconds of the game. Um, and tonight they'll face off against the Minnesota Wild. That is a tough one. And, oh, by the way, speaking of Calgary Flames, so my good friend Jonathan Davis sent along this one here. The Calgary Flames are 2-5 and five on the back end of back-to-backs this season. Both wins against Seattle. Right, they're playing Minnesota. All losses by one goal. Flames are 4-8 and eight as a road dog, mini 19-8 home favorite. Interesting side note, the Wilder 0-2 is home dog. All right, so doesn't bode well for the Calgary Flames. But what it does bode well for here on the program is the return. And Matty Marchese, maybe we need some, like, snappy intro music or some ambient sound for this. I don't know, but the random player of the day returns. It certainly does. Uh, and today we have a former Montreal Canadian. We have a former Boston Bruin for, uh, uh, albeit a very beat brief period. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this yeah. one was sent in. This one was sent in by uh, two people, actually, Greg Green and Enrico DeRocha. Whenever I hear two people, there is a hockey player whose name I will not repeat, whose nickname was two people. Because this player was so dumb that the players on the team always said, <laughs> one person can't be that stupid, so we're calling him two people. So whenever I hear two people, I always think of this player, who shall never be named. Um, great one, though. Okay, so Matt Nazem, legendary number 26. So here's the bio. I have one very unique story about Matt Nazem, which really isn't about Matt Nazem, but does feature Matt Nazem. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, Le Petit Viking um, for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, number 26, 5'7", 
160 pounds, and he played in an era where there were giants and guys like him, as much as they may have found their way into the league quickly, they found their way out of the league quicker. Um, he's a member of the Triple Gold Club, um, winning the Stanley Cup, the World Championships, and the Olympic Gold Medal. Uh, he was in that first class of players to be Triple Gold Club members, along with Hawk and Lube and Tomas Jonsson, who won his Stanley Cup with the New York Islanders, as we can all recall, Hawk and Lube with the Calgary Flames. A second-round draft pick of the Montreal Canadiens in 1979. Uh, he played for Sweden in a number of Canada Cups, notably 84, 87, and 91. Um, Maddie, as you mentioned, after the lockout, the uh, first lockout, uh, tried a brief comeback with the Boston Bruins. Uh, didn't really go anywhere. He is a fan favorite and always has been around Montreal Canadiens fans. And this is a little something for Ken Reed, who loves things like this. Had one of the most unique helmet-visor combos the league has ever seen. Now, internationally, I believe he always used the Jofa when he played for Sweden. But with the Montreal Canadiens, he used the Torspro helmets. The blue one, that just looks gorgeous. Now, this is a story about not necessarily Mats Naslund, but Mats Naslund's helmets and the Gronberg family. Now, Ricard Gronberg, a former Swedish national coach, had a couple of interviews with teams in the NHL as assistant coaches, I believe Buffalo and I believe Dallas as well. Um, was coaching Zurich earlier on this season, and then when he indicated he wasn't coming back next season, um, he was let go, and they brought in Mark Crawford, and we know what happened there. But Ricard Gronberg's father, Jan Gronberg, was a great developer and inventor of hockey equipment. Um, and him and Mats Naslund created the Step-In Skate Guard which they tried to bring over to North America and, and launched to, to some success. Um, he was a, a real innovator when it came to equipment. And what Jan Gronberg did was he invented the very specific visor that Mats Naslin wear, wore while he played with the Montreal Canadiens. And Ricard Gronberg, Jan Gronberg's son, made extra money. He told me this about a year and a half, two years ago. He made extra money working in his father's shops, bending visors that would fit onto Mats Naslund's bucket. So the future head coach of the Swedish national team as a kid made extra money um, uh, curving visors for Mats Naslund. Now, also, and, oh, and by the way, if you look at Mats Naslund's visor, we're going deep here, Maddie. we're going deep. If you look at the visor that Mats Naslund wore when he played in the NHL, there's a logo on the left side. It's a logo of a person, and that logo designed was designed to look like Jan Gronberg, Ricard Gronberg's father, who was the inventor of that very specific visor. We are going deep, deep, deep into this. And also, Mats Naslund... Uh, got young Ricard Gromberg a tryout or an invitation to skate in Montreal, which led to him getting a um, getting a scholarship to play at St. Cloud State uh, for a couple of years as well. Ricard later went on to uh, also play in the RHI with uh, the Phoenix Cobras. And whenever someone plays in the RHI, Maddie, you know I'm going to name it here on the show. So we started out by talking about Matt Snazland, and we ended up talking about the Gronberg family, but there's a tight... Uh, bond there by way of equipment between the two. 
uh, today's random player of the day just gave me an excuse to do a visor helmet story. The great Mats Nasland. Do you have anything else to add to that one? Yeah, he was, uh, first of all, you kind of wonder about him if he had come to the NHL earlier, what kind of numbers he would have put up. Uh, 12th all-time as a uh, scorer for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, when I see him and watch videos of him, I think of Johnny Gaudreau. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It might be the stature. It's also the way that he took a slap small. shot. Um, <laughs> yeah, small. But even just yeah. the style, just the way he was kind of shifty around the ice. Um, and he was the, the first Euro that ever played for the Montreal Canadiens. So that should not be lost on anyone. That's good. Uh, how can people nominate their own player of the day, random player of the day, Maddie? They can email us at jmshow at sportsnet.ca. Very good. Uh, the concept is simple. Player comes through your mind. Get off the email machine. Send it in, jmshow at sportsnet.ca. And uh, Greg Green and Erico DeRocha. Thank you so much for sending that one in. Uh, Eric Francis coming up at the bottom of the hour. Do we have Gary standing by, the one and only Gary Lawless of Lawless and Order? Vegas Golden Knights insider, radio analyst, bon vivant, man about town. The guy who last time I was in Vegas, this would have been at the NHL Players Tour, uh, took us out to dinner at one of the most delightful spots in all of Vegas in a private room with a with a view overlooking all of the Vegas Strip. It was like gorgeous. Like that's the thing about Gary is, if you know Gary, he will treat you first class when you are in his uh, in his town. Gary Lawless joins me now in advance of the Vegas Golden Knights facing off against the Florida Panthers. How's the tan, Gary? Uh, it's not very good, and I'm now stuck in an Uber with uh, Dave Gosher, Shane Knighty, and Dan Duva, and uh, they're going to be crushing me mercilessly, mercilessly for doing a radio interview while I'm while I'm in the <laughs> while I'm in the Uber. And now I'm getting spit but, out. We can hear you. This is bad, Jeff. This is bad timing. <laughs> if you want, we can call you back. It's not a problem. I can filibuster until you get out of the Uber. Unless you want to put me on speaker, no, we can no, have no, everybody no, chime in on my ridiculous questions about about <laughs> Ivan Barbashev. <laughs> <laughs> We're stuck in traffic. We better do it now. <laughs> All right, let's get let's let's do this. So let's uh, let's be as efficient as we can. So. Like, listen, flat out, the Vegas Golden Knights are one of the hottest teams in the NHL. Winners of seven of their last ten uh, points in nine of those ten as well. Uh, most recently knocking off the Montreal Canadiens on the weekend. And Ivan Barbashev is the star. Jonathan Quick is the star. As I was pointing out yesterday, if you go back, like in the history of trade deadlines, going back to 1979-80, and you look at, you know, point production, the number one point producer going back to 79-80 of players traded um, at the deadline is Peter Mueller with 20 uh, points in something like 15 games. So it's not always the superstars that move at deadline that end up having the most significant impact. And that's why I was wondering yesterday about Ivan Barbashev. What can you contribute to that conversation? You know, it's interesting. Uh, Eric DeHatchik wrote an interesting piece in The Athletic about how some teams really, you know, sort of changed their rosters. Other teams tweaked. And I guess the uh, excess said something on the panel on Hockey Night in Canada to the fact that he was on a couple of teams where the general managers made a bunch of changes and it altered their chemistry. And he said, I'm not blaming the guys that came in, but they didn't fit. And I think that's what, uh, what Kelly McCrimmon, George McKee, and Vaughn Carpet and his staff, they looked for fit. And uh, they thought Barbashev fit. 
he has so far. Uh, Teddy Bluger, obviously, uh, they look for fit there. He's been excellent on the fourth line. Good penalty killer. He's got, uh, he can skate as well. At fourth line center, sometimes you find a guy that isn't as, isn't fast, and that can be a matchup problem. You look at what they have down the middle right now. Eichel Stone, or Eichel Stevenson, Carlson, and Bluger, all four of them can skate. So, and then Quick was a need, right? They needed, with ever with all their goalies hurt except for Eden Hill, they couldn't be in a position where yeah. Hill got hurt. You know, their tandem would have been Hutchinson and, uh, and Yuri Patera. They couldn't have that, so they went and got Quick to, for, for some insurance, and uh, so far, so good. You know, was there a sense that Jonathan Quick just kind of fell into their laps at the last minute, or was there going to be, you know, was there going to be something else that they did for that position? Because I'll be honest with you, like I wondered, you know, I wondered about Jonas Corposalo. You know, I wondered about Cam Talbot. I wondered about a number of different goaltenders of the Vegas Golden Knights. Was this just sort of found money because, listen, Quick wasn't going to go to play in Columbus? I think they were probably working on other things. They needed a goalie for sure. And then when that deal happened, and, you know, I think Quick pretty much told Columbus, I think he gave, I think him and his agent said, you know, we'd appreciate if he'd move us. And I think the list was probably pretty short. Uh, and Vegas was perfect because it's, you know, close to L.A. and a contender. He drove mm-hmm. his pickup truck from L.A. to Vegas on, on the Thursday, yeah. on, the, on Friday night, so he could play, sorry, Thursday night, so he could play and be part of the team uh, right away. you surprised at how quickly he got the mask done. Uh, well, there's a story behind that. It's not just the mask. Uh, Pat Mino, one of the equipment managers, and I have to give uh, Shane Knighty props for, for digging this up. Uh, Pat Mino. Good job, Sheriff. Got, got some stickers. Got got some stickers done, and they put those on the mask for his first practice and, and for the day that he sat on the, the, the bench backing up. But then they took uh, uh, a magic marker and altered his pads and his blocker and his trapper because they were all seeing that the the black and silver from LA, they switched mm-hmm. it to they, they turned that silver into gold. So it looked like he'd been playing for for Vegas his uh, his whole 16 year <laughs> NHL career when he got the start on Sat on Saturday Sunday against the Canadians. You know, this is, um, I, I want to circle back to Barbashev here because I was, you know, Elliot and I would talk about St. Louis and would always circle back to as much as we'll talk about players like Ryan O'Reilly and um, Vladimir Tarasenko, we'd always circle back to Barbashev. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to score goals. It's another to have a physical impact on a series and to be someone that's flat out hard to play against. Uh, to be honest with you, I kind of wondered if all along Kelly McCrimmon, because there are just, you know, there there are some players that teams, you know, have, you know, uh, coveted for a long time and weren't able to pull the trigger on. Like, uh, I'm very much of the belief that Vegas, you know, there was there was a while there that always tried to get Radic Faxa away from, from Dallas, for example. Um, was Ivan Barbashev, like, do you know how long Ivan Barbashev was on the radar for the Vegas Golden Knights? Well, they, they, they saw him 49 times this year. They're, between Kelly and the scouting staff, they had 49 viewings of Ivan Barbashev before acquiring him. So that tells you 
they they had mm-hmm. they looked at St. Louis. You know, they they, they did their homework. Who's going to have who potentially could be a seller this year? And if if things don't go well, they identified St. Louis as one of those teams that could go either way. And then you know, they just they just kept going back and watching them and watching them and. It uh, it made he made perfect sense for them when they when they won the cup in nineteen he had eighty nine hits in the playoffs he led the playoffs with eighty nine hits yeah it tells you how hard he is to play is and he, we all saw the Sam Gerrard yeah. last year he's uh, he, he's different than anybody they had and he's fit right in with with Jack Eichel I talked to Jack this morning uh, after the morning skate and I just so just said how's it going with Ivan and he said. Smart player, easy to play with, fantastic. He's quite pleased mm-hmm. with uh, who's on his left wing right now. Um, off of the ice here, the Vegas Golden Knights and this success story that and I was making this point with Elliot off the top of the show because you know we were talking about all the uh, the whispers that are getting louder about markets like Atlanta and markets like Houston and you know not exactly a secret that. You know, the, the fact that the NHL might just be looking at, you know, starting to get into uh, another expansion phase or maybe for one of the markets, a relocation phase, depending on what happens with the Arizona Coyotes. A lot of this is a direct reflection, I'll just be blunt, of the success stories that have been the Vegas Golden Knights and the Seattle Kraken. But not just at the NHL level for both these teams, also the American Hockey League. Like, I don't think it would surprise anybody if at the end of the season, when everything is all tallied up, revenue generator one and two for the American League, to say nothing of the NHL, might be Coachella Valley and Henderson. Um, We know all about the success that has been the Vegas Golden Knights. For those that may not know how successful Henderson is and what they have going on there, can you share that with people? Yeah, they've done a, a really nice job. Kelly hired uh, Tim Speltz, who was in uh, Spokane as the GM there in the Western Hockey League for a really yep. long time. And uh, actually, both Kelly and Tim were recent recipients of uh, the WHL uh, Governor's Award. So uh, they built a beautiful rink in Henderson. It's perfect for the American League. Uh, there's parking there. Uh, the price of the ticket is really great you can bring a family of four there and you know have a couple hot dogs and a couple of beers and uh it doesn't feel like you've made a mortgage payment so it's uh it's the <laughs> buildings uh, they've done a real good job selling the tickets it took a, a lot of people from uh young people from the golden knights staff that had you know come up there and and done really good jobs and took them from you know sort of associate roles and put them into into director and vp roles and so it's all, you know, it's hand and glove, and it's been, it's been very successful. Uh, it's been great. Uh, what do you expect tonight, Vegas and the Cats? I mean, Florida Panthers are a desperate team trying to, you know, involve themselves in a conversation for a wild card position, but hasn't exactly gone the way we thought it would go for the Florida Panthers this season, or the way that they thought it would go this season. What do you expect tonight with the Vegas Golden Knights in town? Vegas has done a lot of heavy lifting. Nine, one, and two since the All Star break, and that's put them fifth in the NHL, first in the Pacific, uh, first in the Western Conference. Uh, if the cutoff is ninety-four, they're about uh, twelve points away from uh, from that, making sure that they're a playoff team. Uh, Carol, uh, Florida will be desperate, but 
Vegas has a lot to play for at this point in time. So uh, the big, big wins over New Jersey and Carolina last week. Uh, they're finding their game and they're, be- they're becoming predictable in how they play. You know what you're going to get uh, uh, most nights from the Golden Knights. So uh, this, will, this should feel like a playoff hockey game. That's my expectation. Yeah. Very much looking forward to it. We'll let you get back to your hockey Uber, uh, Uber and I remind you, um, Ubers have cameras on. Uh, just ask the Ottawa Senators what that is like. So be careful, gentlemen. Be careful. We just drove by the elbow room, and it's it's actually spring break here, and the uh, <laughs> chain keeps rolling down the window because there's you know a, a million kids in front of these bars here. Uh, yeah, drinking and dancing and having all kinds of fun and uh, yeah, so uh, it's uh, it's quite the scene here. But uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon, Jeff. Make good decisions, Gary. Make good decisions. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Take care. See ya. There he is, uh, the great Gary Lawless, Vegas Golden Knights insider radio analyst for the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, you know, the, the the good thing about Gary is, too, we didn't get a chance to get into it there, but um, the, the wonderful thing about Lawless is you can go anywhere with him, uh, whether it's junior hockey, whether it's NHL. When the season's wound down, we should probably park like a good half hour just to park Lawless down and, and get him to empty out his brain. A lot of great stories there. Um, he's big in the lacrosse community as well. Um, going back to the, the Peterborough Mafia days, tied into that whole scene. Um, one of my favorites to talk to and just an all-around great guy. Vegas Golden Knights facing off tonight uh, against the Florida Panthers. It is a busy evening around the NHL. And just to refresh what's um, happening on our network on Sportsnet, I mentioned... Uh, earlier, a couple of games that you can see early, most notably the Philadelphia Flyers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, that's certainly a big one. Uh, no Victor Hedman for the Bolts. Tampa's lost five games in a row. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers coming off a win against the Detroit Red Wings on Sunday. And that's a team that, as we all know, has been dogged by angry fans right now. Like, there are a lot of fan bases that are miffed. And we've talked a lot this season and you know use a, a lot of oxygen talking about the Vancouver Canucks and there's still very much a story and for the longest time there was a lot of anger there from fans but maybe the angriest fan base Marchese hop in on this one maybe the angriest fan base right now are the Philadelphia Flyers fans can you think of an angrier fan base right now than the Flyers not really. I mean that that trade deadline was was very surprising. Um, you know, there was, was I've read a lot Why? of well, you know, there was that whole James Van Reams like thing that was at the top of my list, which is a bizarre thing anyway that Detroit was interested. But I digress. But you know, you read the, the stuff online, and I know that Twitter is not uh, the greatest place in the world. Actually, it's the worst place in the world. But uh, a lot of comments about yeah. Chuck Fletcher and and the job that he's done, and some people were saying, well, did he wake up on on Thursday and say, Oh, I can make trades here. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not an easy situation. Like I, I know that Philadelphia has really struggled this year, but let's also talk about the guys that they don't have in their lineup this year that, you know, they have under contract that they were hoping would be in the lineup in Sean Couturier and Ryan Ellis, like those two guys healthy, make a big difference for this group. And they just don't have them. Um, it's been a really rough year for the Flyers, and I'd be curious to see what they do 
in the offseason. I, I really think that they're one of the more intriguing teams to watch, especially at free agency. And who's going to be the GM when that all happens? Yeah, there's a few things that I wonder about there because, yeah, listen, Couture, and I know all teams deal with injuries. I get it. Um, those are sizable. And we don't know about the future for Sean Couturier. We all cross our fingers and, listen, back injuries are difficult. Um, and just when you think you're clearing a hurdle, you're right back to where you began. Um, the NHL is always better with players like Sean Couturier in it, one of my favorites personally. Um, maybe yours as well. And the Philadelphia Flyers aren't going to be anywhere close to being who the Philadelphia Flyers should be without Sean Couturier in the lineup. And like Ryan Ellis, like this story, like even just from, from day one, like what did he play, Matt? It was like four games and then he got injured and then that was it. Then then that was it for Ryan Ellis. Like Ryan Ellis was brought into the Philadelphia Flyers organization essentially after Matt Niskanen called it a career. And Matt Niskanen was the best thing for Ivan Provorov. And Ellis was, was supposed to come in and essentially be the new Matt Niskanen for Ivan Provorov. And he hasn't been there. And Ivan Provorov, as we've seen, has struggled to the point where I'm of the belief that come draft time, he's going to be one of the names that we're hearing about. Much like we're going to be hearing more about Kevin Hayes as the Columbus situation resolve itself um, at the draft with, uh, with, with Kevin Hayes. But one of the more intriguing things for me is not so much, let me think of how I, how I can say this, is not so much what has Chuck Fletcher done or what hasn't Chuck Fletcher done. I'm really interested in who has influence on those decisions who isn't Chuck Fletcher. Like there are a lot of very powerful ex-Philadelphia Flyer consultants on that team whose opinion is still very much valued. And again, I don't think Chuck Fletcher is ever going to say that anyone else had a hand on the wheel except for him. He's a very traditional general manager who will accept responsibility for all the decisions, accept, you know, accountability, etc. You know, he has a you know he's from a family uh, of managers, and we think of you know legendary Cliff Fletcher. So I don't think that he'll ever say, "Oh, I had to make this deal because you know Bill Barber, you know, who was a one of the, the main consultants there, you know, insisted that we do it, and he had a hand on the wheel, or Bobby Clark is behind this one." But it is one of the things that I wonder about here. Like, I know that no general manager works with autonomy. What do we always hear about, Maddie? As a manager now in the NHL, you need to be able to manage upwards. You need to be able to manage the people above you. That is a new skill that managers need to have. Like, once upon a time in the, you know, Sam Pollock era, the Bill Torrey era, the whatever era, um, managers would essentially see the people above them at Christmas and at the end of the season, and that was it. And other than that, they had their budget, they had their money, and they had full autonomy over making moves. Now, it's not just, like, you always want to, like, we talked to Bill Guerin about this, Elliot and I, a couple of weeks ago, and we put it out on a podcast. Um, you know, we talked about his relationship with Craig Leopold, uh, the owner of the Minnesota Wild. And there are a lot of managers, and Bill's one of them, who always tell their owner, no surprises. I'll keep you in the loop. You will not be surprised by anything that I want to do. And specifically, and Doug McLean would always talk about this when we work with Doug. 
about he how he would always keep Mr. McConnell aware of not the day-to-day minutia of tiny things. Like the people that own hockey teams are like they're really busy. They don't need to know if you know you're swapping out fourth line wingers. They they don't need stuff like that. But when you're making big moves or making big decisions, you better keep your owner or the people above you informed. Where you get in trouble is when you hold yourself off from everybody else in the organization and just start to make moves in a vacuum. That's usually the prelude for a team getting a new manager. But what I wonder about here with Chuck Fletcher is, is he making all of these moves just on his own? Are all these contracts, and I'm sure he's, he'll be the first to stand up and say, nope, I take responsibility, these are mine. Are all the signings really his? See, I don't know the answer to that. All I do know is there are a lot of powerful consultants that are ex-NHLers, many of whom have been general managers in the NHL, still around the Florida, the Philadelphia Flyers organization. And to that end, I always say to people who talk about, oh, get rid of Chuck Fletcher and all the problems are solved. I think that just satisfies angry Philadelphia Flyers fans. I don't think that goes at the root cause of what might be at the heart of what's happening with Philadelphia. Again, I don't know the answer, but it is one of the things that I wonder about. And the whispers have been out there. Was that really Chuck Fletcher's decision? Is that really a Chuck Fletcher contract? Is that really a Chuck Fletcher trade? Now, I know a lot of angry Flyers fans won't like hearing that because they want to keep it really simple. And Chuck Fletcher right now represents, in their minds, everything that is wrong about the Philadelphia Flyers. And if they get rid of Chuck Fletcher... All the problems will be solved. I think that's too simple. I think that's way too simple. And I'm not saying that Chuck Fletcher is a perfect general manager. The perfect general manager doesn't exist. Just like the perfect radio slash TV host doesn't exist. Just like the perfect program doesn't exist. Yeah, knock it out. Perfect producer definitely doesn't exist. We've seen close (laughs) to perfect hockey players in Nick Lidstrom and Patrice Bergeron, etc. But... You know, perfection may be something you try to attach yourself to. You know, you're not going to be great until you attach yourself to something greater than you. Um, but I, I really do wonder about Philly here. And I think we're being overly simplistic just by saying, if they get rid of Chuck Fletcher, do what the fans want. We saw the town hall last week and the booze and all of it. I, listen, Chuck Fletcher knows what he's signing up for when he takes the job. So you can't feel sorry for him. And Chuck Fletcher wouldn't want you to feel sorry for him. I just don't know that it's as simple as you get rid of Chuck Fletcher and you solve all the problems. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I think any team is a lot more complicated than that. What do you think of that, Maddie? I, I agree with, with a bunch of that there. Here's, here's two things that I'll say. The Philadelphia Flyers are unlike a lot of other organizations in that they're, you know, for, like you said, former players that were also GMs that have been involved, maybe they were coaches, have a lot of influence in that organization, whereas I don't see that a lot in other organizations. Like, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but the Philadelphia Flyers seem very, very unique in that respect. And the other thing is you talked about, you know, is that a Chuck Fletcher signing? Is that a Chuck Fletcher trade? 
the first thing that when you said that that came to mind was the reason why they didn't sign Johnny Gaudreau potentially because he is not a quote unquote Philadelphia flyer. He's not big. He's not nasty. And he, he just doesn't fit that role, even though he's one of the most skilled offensive players in the league. And God knows the Philadelphia Flyers could do something like that. Um, that's the first thing that that when you said that that screamed to me that that was something that maybe Chuck Fletcher wanted to do but could not do. I don't think that there was interest there. I don't, and I think really? that a lot of it was about timeline. And I think, yeah, and I think the Philadelphia Flyers are going to go through, and this even goes back to last summer as well. Um, I think the Philadelphia Flyers are going to go through a, um, you know, youth movement may be too strong, but I think you're going to see a lot more kids, a lot more younger, skilled players on this roster starting next season. I think this year, this was going to be the awkward year. Like, honestly, I think a lot of things are on the table. Like, I think they'll, I think they'll try to make moves. I, I wonder about Provorov. Um, I wonder about Kevin Hayes. Um, but let's not forget too, a lot of the players, I don't know Flyers wanted, Flyers fans wanted to see moves, but why would you make trades at this trade deadline knowing you're trading players for pennies on the dollar? Travis Sanheim has had a really big season. If you want to move Travis Sanheim, um, Ivan Provorov's had a really tough season. Trade him when he's at his lowest. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't think they'd even entertain the idea of trading someone like Joel Farabee who's coming off ADR surgery. And if you were, then you're trading penny for pennies on the dollar again. Like, I'm not as... I know Flyers fans are upset about it because they're angry and they're hardwired to be angry right now because their team's not doing well and they don't see a definite direction. I think this is a huge summer for that organization. And I think you'll probably start to see the charting of a new direction because of it it might be uncomfortable a lot of popular philadelphia flyers may be out the door because of it but the interesting thing that we've seen with the philadelphia flyers is even though at times it might seem tough because of how tortorella can really go at a player tortorella kind of seems really comfortable playing kids and, you know, I look at the example that I raised earlier was, was Cam York, who was cut in training camp. We all thought Cam York was going to be on that team. And then he gets cut, and Torts and the Flyers organization, like, having a good rip at Cam York, and, you know, you know, wasn't where he wanted to be. Sent him down to Lehigh for 30 games. Was he ready when he got the call up? Maybe, maybe not, but he did. And what did Tortorella go out of his way to do? Praise the kid. Always. Like, Tortorella is one of the more fascinating coaches in the NHL, and I know he's not everyone's cup of tea. But the way that he handles players is really interesting, and the way that he's handling young players, and Cam York seems to be the touchstone for me, to me is fascinating. Major disappointment, then build up, build up, build up, build up. Give the kid a hurdle to jump over, give him some adversity, make him cherish a spot, and then build him up. I think the future of the Flyers is going to be fascinating. Now, here's the hard part, Flyers fans. It's going to be a tough crawl to the end of the regular season for you. I feel for you. I know it's going to be ugly. I hope you don't have to go through something again like you did when the Rangers fans invaded. Oh, my God, that was so bad. The Wells Fargo, and to hear that pop when the Rangers scored in overtime was something I never thought I would hear at a Philadelphia Flyers game.
but it's going to be tough the rest of the way for the Philadelphia Flyers, and it's going to be really tough for their fans. But I do still think that this is going to go in a different direction starting this offseason. Let's see how quickly they get there. Um, I'll tell you what. Calgary Flames almost threw away a gimme last night, doubling up the Dallas Stars only to watch it all fade away as we've seen it before with this Calgary Flames team. Tyler Toffoli with the uh, the heroics just before time expired. Uh, Eric Francis joins me here in a couple of moments. We'll talk about the Calgary Flames. Oh, yeah, their reward for the big win last night. Eh, just play against a refreshed, hungry, skilled, aggressive Minnesota Wild team. Oof. Eric Francis next. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, we're heavy on time, so I want to get right to Eric Francis from Sportsnet. Um, with thoughts on last night's near miss by the Calgary Flames and tonight's oof, tough one against a really tough and competitive Minnesota Wild team. Eric, how are you today, pal? I'm great. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. That was um, that was uh, exciting, but it didn't have to be uh, last night. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm watching this game. I'm like, okay, good. Calgary, I know it's the third period, but they kind of look tucked away here. This is a nice win. I love watching the combination of, you know, red and green mixing on the ice. Visually, the game looks beautiful. Calgary's in the lead. And then Rupe Hins scores shorthanded. And I'll be honest with you, Eric, I said, uh-oh, here we go. Uh, what did you think when uh, when Rupe Hen scored yesterday? Well, Flames fans have been saying uh-oh all year long. I mean, <laughs> there was a, there was certainly a, you got to give them credit for being creative last night. Usually the Flames just give up one two-goal lead. Last night they did it twice. Yeah. Um, they really are testing the patience and the uh, and the heart the hearts of all their all their fans because they no lead seems safe with this team and I got to say, of all the things that have happened to the Flames this year, and it's all been, you know, mostly very disappointing given the expectations. Uh, the most shocking thing to me is not, you know, Markstrom going from, you know, being the second best goalie in the world to being, you know, one of the worst in the league this year. It's it's the fact that this yeah. team can't lock down a lead. You know, blame it on goaltending, and that's been their number one problem. No problem, but but just in yeah. general. Sutter coach teams, when they get up one or two, it is over. That has always been a trademark of a Daryl Sutter team with the structure they play and the emphasis on goaltending and playing on the right side of the puck. And that's that's been obliterated this year. They no lead is safe. No, no team has given up more, has lost more games this year after winning a game at some point. I mean, I could trot out all sorts of stats, but it's it's an absolute adventure every single night, and it's 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 really hard for yeah. the diehards, I'm sure, to take. You know, I, I'm with you on that, and anyone that's followed hockey as long as you have knows that you're right. Like, Daryl Sutter teams, like, that's not how they behave in the third period when they're up a puck or, or certainly up two pucks. I just wonder how much of that is. I mean, this has kind of been the story of the season, right? No lead is safe and multi, you know, lead changes. You mentioned a couple throughout the game, and, you know, every team has gone through this. Do you think that's just a, I don't know, maybe I'm looking at it too easily. Isn't that just sort of a byproduct of how the game is played right now and the skill level of teams right now? 
For sure. I'm betting that around the league, even some of the best teams in the league uh, have given up leads probably more often than they have in the past. Uh, Fair fair point. And and that's a beautiful part of our game, isn't it? That, you know, turn off the game early at your peril. Because when you uh, when you wake up in the morning, it could be a completely different <laughs> score than you were expecting. And again, no fan base knows that better than the Calgary Flames this year. But you know, yeah. give them credit. I have to say, Flames went into last night's game having lost five in a row. You know, the sky's falling in every possible way. Uh, they just can't get any sort of momentum. As a matter of fact, they're moving closer to Bedard than they are a top eight. And yet, I have to say, five of their last six games, including last night. I think they played damn good hockey. And so the fear I think that a lot of people should have in Calgary is wondering this. Is this team's good, just not good enough? You know, you know, is this team really, is this the best they've got? Well, nobody really feels that way in this city. No one around the league, I think, feels that way. I think everybody thinks this team is capable of so much more. And, and really, it all comes down to goaltending at the end of the day. If you don't have goaltending, Jeff, as you know, you've had these conversations a million times. Play as well as you want, but you got yeah. no chance if your goalies aren't uh, at least average. Uh, many people have said it. Uh, rename the game hockey to goalie because that's what this whole thing is. All I think Ned Harkness might have been the first to say that. Uh, we should rename this game. We should call it goalie because if you don't have one, that's that's the whole game. Um, here's here's what I wonder because I think we we're all looking at Brad Treliving around this trade deadline and saying okay, what's the direction here? And I very much get the feeling, and again, we'll see what happens with Treliving himself with the lack of contract extension right now, um, or at least he hasn't signed one. I'm not sure if there is one in front of him. Um, I wonder if this organization just looks at this season and says, you know what, it's just one of those years. Like, it's happened. It gets happened to good teams. I don't think, I, I, I think, I've been trying to make this point pretty much all season. To me, and specifically lately, the Calgary Flames, to me, Eric, just look stunned. Like, they just look like a team that's like, oh, my God, this wasn't supposed to be like this this season. What do we do? And you know what it's like when you get shocked and you get stunned. It's almost like you're paralyzed. And then your first thought is, this can't be real. This can't be true. And, you know, a lot of times when it comes to sports teams, it's not real. It's just a mirage. And I think there's a sensitivity about overreacting to one poor or one average season. So maybe I look at Brad Treliving, you know, punting it to next season and saying, I get it because you don't want to overreact when the situation may just call for patience. And this might just be a long-winded way of getting there, Eric, just one of those seasons. It does happen to teams. It, it happens a lot in Calgary, too. There's this tremendous history of one year good, one year bad. And uh, it's kind of the way their season's yeah. gone this year as well. But, uh, you know, last year, you know, I think they surprised everyone. There's no question about it. They No one expected they'd have the best line in hockey. No one expected they'd run away with the Pacific. And, mm-hmm. and, and no one saw any of that coming. It, they were a lot like the Boston Bruins this year. Like, everyone thought, oh, they might squeeze into the playoffs. And they ended up running away with their division, just like the Bruins this year. Remember, at the beginning of the year, I was like, yeah, they might challenge for a playoffs with all their early injuries, but who knows? Anyway, not to compare the, the, yeah. the, the, the Flames with the Bruins, but, you know, you've got a situation where this team is almost entirely returning next year if they want to do that. And I think cooler heads would say, yes, this was one of those years. Everybody came off a career year last year and then came back 
below the norm this year. You know, if you stay patient and go one more year with this team, you know, is are you going to get uh, dividends paid off? Or is this year a sign that it's just not working and you've got to blow this thing up because you've got six of your core players next year who are all expiring on expiring deals, which is a kind of a dangerous thing to go into. If you're confident in your team, you think you can make some hay, then you stick with it. If not, you might start selling off mm-hmm. some of those pieces. And those names include Elias Lindholm, Michael Backlund, Tyler Toffoli, uh, Nikita Zadorov, Chris Tanev, like some of the heartbeats of this entire franchise. And uh, I think a lot of people are, are scared that they're all going to walk um, and uh, see greener mm-hmm. pastures. And, and, and that's a big debate I think they have to have this summer. And then, of course, leading to, I'm sure, your next question, which is, well, who's going to make that decision this summer? Is Tree Living back, or is it <laughs> yes. somebody else? And that's yeah. a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, I think you could throw Noah Hannafin into that conversation too. That's yeah. uh, that that's uh, that's another one where the like, and I I do wonder about who's going to make that decision. I think we all do, um, but also I I think that. You know, going and Winnipeg is facing the same situation as well with some of their key players. You know, being one year out after the season, it's going to be interesting for a couple of Canadian teams here. Are there one or two of that list of expiring contracts next season? I want to get to the Minnesota game here in a sec. Are there one or two players that the Calgary Flames absolutely must sign for next they, uh, going into next season? They just they just can't let walk. We've seen them. You know the 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 Matthew Kachuk, you know, uh, trade uh, is is one thing, but you know, letting Johnny Gaudreau go is a, is a whole other kettle of fish. Are there one or two players that Calgary absolutely cannot afford to walk to free agency? Well, I I'm not sure they can do much about it other than overpay, which is what they did with Uyghur and which they did with uh, Jonathan Huberdo. I mean, that's the only way you keep people or attract people to Calgary now because you're not attracting them for the the tax breaks or the weather. Uh, or, 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 or even the team right now. It's not that attractive a team, I think, for someone. So, anyway, I would answer your question by saying Elias Lindholm has been their best forward um, probably for yeah. three years now. I, I'll put him ahead of Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk. He's been their most important forward, by far their best forward, their most complete forward. You know, was in the Selkie conversation last year, was a finalist, finally, uh, at long last. And, you know, He's, he's just uh, kind of the core. He's, he's the most important piece, I think, up front. Tyler Foley's having a, a career year right now, and he's been fantastic on the top line, but I think you could withstand losing him. I, I would put Lynn Ohm at the top of that list. This is also a general manager, and again, this is the one making the decisions. You know, he covets defensemen and centers above all else. Um, you know, Michael Backlund is a, is a crucial part of this team, has been the longest-serving flame, and is, is, is so, you know, respected and loved in this city, but I'm not sure you're going to be able to keep him. And then there's Noah Hannafin, right. who, you know, a, a great young defenseman. And uh, these they'll all be tough losses if they, you know, surely they'll be able to keep one or two, I guess. But I think generally speaking, it's going to be a tough mm-hmm. sell to keep uh, many of them at all. They may end up being kingmaker come next uh, next trade deadline time. We'll see how things yeah. shake out. Uh, we saw Minnesota on Saturday. We'll see Minnesota tonight. What do we look for this evening, Eric? Well, it was the Flames' worst game in their last six against Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota had a lot to do with that, that's for sure. And they, they sure looked good the other night. We completely neutralized the Calgary Flames in every way. Uh, I, I think yeah. the hope, if you're a Calgary Flames fan, is that what happened last night was 6.2 seconds left. Tyler Tafoli scores on a breakaway with, from a 
a world-class pass from Jonathan Huberto. We haven't seen enough of that this year. But, you know, maybe that's the, the kickstart, the momentum builder. Maybe that's the thing they carry over into tonight's game and, and start to piece together some sort of a, a winning streak. They, their longest winning streak of the year, Jeff, is three. They did it twice this year, and they haven't done it. And it's been three months since they last did it. In the last six weeks, they've, you know, it's been last six weeks since they've won two in a row. Like it's, it's really, really tough uh, to believe this team could piece together a bunch of wins like they're going to have to to get back in this race. But all you can do is hope that what you mm-hmm. saw last night carries over to tonight in uh, St. Paul. You know, there's a, there's a couple of teams around the NHL, we'll, we'll end on this one, where if things go sideways in the playoffs and we think of Toronto right away, that everything is on the table for the offseason. Um, for the Calgary Flames this offseason, do you think everything is on the table? I do. I do. You know, and I think how they finished these last 18, 19 games will will also have a say in that. You know, if it if it ends horrifically, then then that's even more of an, uh, an emphasis There'll be more of an emphasis on, on turnover. But again, it all starts with the GM. If you keep the GM, and or let me put it in a different way, if the GM decides to stay, because I do really believe that it's Tree Living's decision, I think that's what it's going to come down to. I'm Although, you. you know, I, I do. But anyway, other people will say, no, it's time for him I'm to go. He's, I think they've only won two series in the eight or nine years he's been here. Uh, so I could see it going either way. But either way, if he is the GM, I think they will stay the course largely. Uh, and keep this core intact. Uh, if it's a new GM, I I would think that, that that would give that new GM a mandate to completely rebuild this thing, and that means selling off a lot of those guys with one year left on their contract. Which is, you know, there are a lot of people in the city who want that. Who finally, they, this franchise has been stuck in the middle forever, Jeff. You know, they're never they're rarely good. They're always squeaking into the playoffs and never getting a good draft pick. And uh, I think people want to put an end to that and either tear it down. Uh, or, or, or I guess go for it for one more year. That's the decision to be made. As the great comedian Sam Kinison once said, Eric, if you're going to miss heaven, don't miss it by two inches. I get it. I think we all get it. Um, thanks, pal. You be well. <laughs> uh, you too, my man. Stay warm. There he is, Eric Francis from uh, from the Sportsnet. Tonight, the Calgary Flames facing off against the Minnesota Wild is coming off uh, last night. A, a big win against the Dallas Stars in a game they almost surrendered a couple of different times. Uh, thanks to Eric for stopping by from the Sportsnet. Thanks to all of our guests. Uh, Gary Lawless in the hockey Uber uh, on his way to the uh, to the hotel from the uh, Vegas Golden Knights skate. It is Vegas and Florida tonight. So one of 10 games on the board around the NHL. Uh, thanks to Peter Baugh from The Athletic filling us in on the Colorado Avalanche. They will face off tonight against the San Jose Sharks. And Elliot Friedman, who um, once again, and will probably continue to do so because it's a fascinating story, poking the bear about Atlanta and Houston in the NHL. Thanks to everybody, by the way, for uh, DMing or texting or uh, tweeting at me. Uh, shaving cut remedies what I should have in my shaving kit bag. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, Matt Marchese, those are the brains of the operation. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Merrick Show back tomorrow again uh, again along the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, and Sportsnet Now. Ten games, pick them, enjoy them. We're back tomorrow.